Welcome to A Break in the Action, where we take a break from the business of our days to focus on outdoor pursuits and the traditional sporting lifestyle. Join us for discussion and interviews on vintage and modern break-action shotguns, sporting literature, outdoor leisure, and reviews of best-in-class gear, accessories, and destinations. So pour yourself a drink, sit back, relax, and let's take a break in the action. Now here's your host, shotgun collector, wing shooter, and sporting clays enthusiast, Ryan Dowdy. This is the second half of a deep dive into the Christmas Grand Batu shoot at Green Acres Sportsman's Club in Roberts, Illinois. In part one, you were introduced to Keith and Chris. Beginning with breakfast and meeting with the other guns, we made our way through the first half of the day's itinerary and discussed the wonderful Beretta SL3 shotgun. Picking back up where we left off, we've already been shooting now for a few hours. It's time for a break. On a proper driven shoot day in England, Elevensies offer just such a break to recharge with a few tasty bites, a warm-up by the fire, and a chance to keep the shooting muscles loose with a taste of a nice port or spiked broth. In the handful of shoots that I've participated in at Green Acres, I always look forward to Elevensies, an intermission of sorts to regroup with the other guns of the day, celebrating great shots, and of course razzing each other for the easy misses. Keith, Elevensies is an important part of a shoot day. Um, Where did this tradition come from? The tradition of Elevensies, of course, goes back to... uh, the 19th, when, when it started really during the 19th century. And the reason being is that uh, these chaps were going to go out onto the moors or certainly out into the countryside um, in winter weather. And you burn off a lot of energy. As you found out, you, you, you do two drives. Right. And it's amazing the, the amount of energy that, that you use up. And despite the fact that you, you leave the clubhouse having had a good breakfast, trust me, as you found out, you get out there and all of a sudden you say, God, bloody hell, I'm really, <laughs> really hungry. <laughs> right. Um, and, of course, what's happening is is you're using up the calories, you're using up the energy. And in a cold, if you can imagine, a, a chilly climate burns even quicker. Um, so what would happen in those days um, is they would bring the food out to the guns because – on many of the drives, the, the guns, and again, hopefully some of you have seen Downton Abbey, where they truly do a great, uh, a great New Year's Day shoot, the guns go off in horse-drawn wagons. Um, so the, the drives were, were, could be pretty far away from the main house. So, of course, you went out there, and then uh, two drives in, uh, the, uh, another wagon would come out, another vehicle would come out, um, and they bring out the elevenses, you know, small finger foods, um, hot sausage rolls, scotch eggs. And then, of course, because a lot of this was actually created by, of course, the aristocracy, uh, it wouldn't go too far before they needed a cup of alcohol, a glass of alcohol. <laughs> um, and, of course, to be honest, having spent a whole year running a, a Scottish estate in, in the Highlands and having been up 
2,000 feet um, on, a, on, a, on a drive. On, on it. Um, in Scotland, it, you really do need a bit of a nip. Um, it became more, I think, um, medicinal than, <laughs> than, than of choice. And you needed to keep warm. Right. But, of course, the aristocrats, and that's how it comes. And it is true. You, you, you are going to be away from the main house or anywhere. So the elevenses were brought out. It was always the mid-morning break. It gives you a chance to relax, chat to all the other guns, tell tall stories, um, and most importantly, enjoy the hospitality and the camaraderie of the day. That's really, that's really where it starts, you know, the camaraderie of the day. And there's nothing better than chatting to people, you know, having a good roast beef sandwich and maybe a glass of pork. And, and it, it revitalizes everybody. You, 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 you get the energy back and, you know, you get ready for, for the next drives. But it, it's a very important social part of the day. Um, you know, the new guns, people haven't, you know, you, you get a mixed bag. You might have everybody that knows each other. You might have a portion that know each other and the others are all singles. And so everybody starts chatting. You, you, it, and you make great friends. I, I think this is the start. The ho this is the, the centerpiece of the hospitality. And apart from giving you a few calories to burn off on the next two shoots, again, it's just a lovely thing to do. Nothing like being out in the open, glass of port, um, and as I say, a right big steaming hot sausage roll gets you going again. Yeah, yeah. Some people might be surprised by the fact that alcohol is part of the Elevensies tradition. Um, I'll say that enjoying a taste of a nice port or warming up with some of Brenda's special recipe, bullshot broth, um, it's not even going to get you started towards becoming tipsy. Um, it's, it's part of the tradition and I really enjoy this bit of authenticity and, and I'll, I'll stress again that, that with you guys, safety is always, always paramount. So with 11 wrapping up, it's time to leave the warmth of the fire and head back out into the field. The Christmas Grand Batuu differs from the other live bird shoots at Greenacres in one massive way. In addition to high pheasants, you will shoot flighted mallard. We swapped out the high brass lead number fives that we had been shooting all day for steel number threes and fours. Flighted Mallard was new for me this year, and let me just say, it was amazing. I will never forget the sight of the sky above darkening with thousands, and yes, I mean thousands, of Mallard. Keith, it's going to be hard to describe with words what it's like to take part in your Flighted Mallard shoot, but we need to do our best. If you would, um, tell us how you plan for this spectacular portion of the Grand Batu and, and, and what a guest can expect. The Flighted Mallards here at Greenacres, I am extremely proud of. It was uh, one of the things that enticed me truly, truly to come. Uh, when I first came over to meet Dan in 2015 and we were talking about, you know, doing driven shoots and don't get me wrong, I'm thinking... This place is as flat as a pancake. And of course, I'd never really encountered towers. Now, I knew tower release shoots had always been done in what I would call the Alpenic region of Europe in, in, the, in the 19th century. You know, Austria, Hungary, you know, all that sort of where they their topography was steep pine lined uh, hills. So they didn't have the flat areas on which to lay and keep the birds keepered. So they were the ones that built towers, they released birds from a tower, hence the, con the, the reference to it's a continental. 
Right, okay. So when I came over and I saw this and I'm thinking, oh, crikey, you know, this is a mission impossible. Do I accept, you know, the mission? And then he took me to the waterway where, where they'd been shooting American standard ducks and he just got the birds lifted up and I just looked at them and I said to him, that's it, that's a British driven tube. It was, and, and it was, see, the big difference is that we push the birds just like you do in England on a shoot. We push all the birds over your head and they keep coming. Um, so for us, the driven ducks are hand on heart, a real, real British driven shoot. It, it's a real drive. I mean, this year we started out with 2000 ducks on the waterway. And of course we get the ducks in, in July. Now the, these ducks are keepered. We get them in as, as young, as young breeds, they go out onto the waterway and then it um, hunter as Tyler does. It's like in England, these are keepered. He goes out every day, every day, and he takes food out. Because that's the way you, you keep birds anywhere, is the key is nature wants food. Um, but he's out there in all weathers. Uh, a gamekeeper's job anywhere in the world, a proper gamekeeper's job, is not easy. Um, you have to have a passion for it. So he feeds the birds and he's out there all the time. He's feeding, he's moving the birds from, he, he feeds in different locations. So we're moving the birds from one end of the waterway to the other. And so we, and now what, what we do is after the first main shoot in October, then we, that, what the boys have done is they've opened up additional areas to the waterway. So what you can do now is once that main flock has been up and flying, um, they can now break up the mass of the flock. So in one area, you might have 300 ducks. The next area, you might have four. Next area, you might have two. And then we keep this going. Now, this is the most important part, that, as you experienced, that, you know, we lift the ducks um, and they come at you. And it's a 360 degree shoot. You, you, they are, they are going to come at you from all sides. They'll start circling. And then what happens is obviously is this first batch is shot at, you know, and they'll start to, to uh, tire. Then they're looking for somewhere to drop down. Now, the moment they start dropping down, he immediately, and he and his beaters lift the next pond. So we are really creating, and it is exactly the way a British shoot would be done. So there, there's constantly birds, fresh birds coming at you over your head all the time. And then being in touch with Hunter, um, as this maybe this second batch start to, 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 to tire off, we'll stop. And then we'll get all the guns to move up. You know, we change pegs. This gives the boys time to regroup the birds. It gives the birds time to, to get some rest. Um, once all the pegs are in position and we're ready to go, I liaise with the keeper. And then uh, on his command, I tell the guns to get ready. And then when the birds are in the right position over the guns, I'll blow the horn for obviously the shooting to commence. So we, we can manage it and, and we, we are able to keep the uh, the, the sky full of birds throughout that period of the of the shoot hope well as you experience right, right. Um, and and that's and it's um we are unique i, I uh, that's what gives me not only a great pride and and so on but we're the with the ducks that truly is a british driven shoot and i and yeah i'm 
very pleased to say that, that we're, we're unique. No, nobody else is doing it. Yeah. Yep. Chris, we both got to experience this for the first time and um, we've already marveled at and, <laughs> and, and relived um, what we saw. Give me your description of what you expected when you got to your peg and then what you actually experienced when the shooting started. Well, what was I expecting? Um, I wasn't sure. Obviously, it's my first time. Uh, but as we lined up on the pegs, I was, I was somewhat confused uh, just initially because you know, a lot of safety activities around the, the pheasant and things of that nature. So we got essentially lined up around the waterway there, the, the ponds, and um, I could see someone across from me. So it was, everybody was sort of right there. And um, what I was expecting as I was sort of sizing it up was I, I suspected maybe the birds were going to come, you know, from east to west, heading right down you know, along the water, kind of like what you're seeing as you're calling ducks in. and Right. And they're cutting into your decoys low and fast. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so as, as time went on, we kind of sort of, sort of got acclimated. It's like all of a sudden everything started up. And I was not expecting what I was what I was experiencing. <laughs> it was uh, it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, slowly, uh, some of the birds started. It's basically circling around us, starting out lower. You know, not very high. Not a lot of birds right away. Then all of a sudden, as time went on, I was just sort of standing there, not sure what to do because they were all of a sudden the, the sky was full of birds. It was a cloud. <laughs> it went dark. Yeah. And then we were all, you know, then I guess uh, <laughs> once I realized it, it was happening, I started shooting. And so I was, you know, I got uh, shots anywhere from, you know, close range, lower birds, but obviously most of them were up ahead. Uh, do you know straight up ahead of us? Um, but there were at all levels. So the more shooting that went on, and the more ducks seemed to show up, they kept swarming at different levels and at all different angles. I think, as Keith said, it's a 360 degree shoot, and that's what was a little bit different than what I was expecting uh, based off of the the pheasant shoot. That was more of a, a shooting lane. This was 360 degrees. You could swivel any direction. Um, open sky and, and take your, take your pick. Yeah. Yeah. I, for one, have never seen that many ducks in the air yeah. at one time before. Um, it was, it was really, really something. Yeah. It, it was, there were a lot of ducks. It, I mean, it had to have been a thousand based on what some of the folks were saying, but it was a lot. And there were a lot of variety, different heights, directions, crossers. It was pretty amazing. Yep. It was like nothing I'd ever seen. And, and it seemed like once it started, it, it went on forever. Yeah. I mean, it, it had to be 20 or 25 minutes of shooting. It went on long enough for, for me to get worried about running out of shells. And I'm looking at the bottom of the shell bag and I'm like, okay, we got maybe a handful left and they're still coming full throttle and yep. no one stopping. So it was really, it was really, really fun. I've never experienced anything like it. It was, it was amazing. Right. And, and what was also great was the fact that all the dog, all the, the labs, the retrievers were up behind us. Mm -hmm. Birds were uh, falling in the water on the land, and the dogs were. You're getting to watch the dogs retrieve in the water. They had uh, some amazingly well trained yep. uh, retrievers. Yeah, that's awesome. Definitely good. Good point. Well, after the life altering experience at the duck ponds, Keith and his team kept the adrenaline flowing with the final shoot of the day. Another high pheasant rotation, but on a different area of the property. I'm pretty sure that on the gun bus heading to this final chapter of the day, Keith referred to this as our grand finale, and it was. 
This drive offered even more birds over the trees and through the air. You'll probably have noted to yourself a bit earlier in the day that your arms and legs were getting tired. By this point, fatigue had set in fully, but the Green Acres team keeps the pedal down to close out the day. And then, with one final blast of the horn, the shooting for the day is finished. Guns gather their gear and make their way exhausted to the gun bus. It's about 4 or 4.30 in the afternoon. It's been a long day and the sky is already getting dark. Dinner is scheduled for 6 p.m., giving just enough time for the shooters to wipe down their guns, shed their wet and muddy clothes, and change for dinner in the club's large locker room. Before we get to dinner, let me bring Chris back into the conversation to talk about the Connecticut shotgun manufacturing Christian Hunter. Let's start again with a rundown of the specs. The Christian Hunter is again a 12-gauge, 30-inch barreled over and under, multi-choked with flush-fitting choke tubes. The shotgun is a side lock with hidden, or more specifically, disappearing side lock screws. I really like how Connecticut Shotgun does this on several of their models, specifically the A10 and now the Christian Hunter. Our gun had a single selective trigger. I'll make the same comment that I made discussing the SL3 that I would love to see this gun offered without a barrel selector on the safety slide. I just don't see these as being used in the types of situation this shotgun is going to find itself in. A simple and sculpted safety slide would just add to the elegance of both of these guns. The barrels are fitted with a monoblock design. Our review gun had solid side ribs and then featured a boss-style quarter rib or what some might call a ribless design. I absolutely love the look of a ribless shotgun and I'm glad that Connecticut Shotgun offers this as an option on some of their models. I own an early Inverness model from Connecticut Shotgun with the same boss-style quarter rib, and I really love how it handles and shoots. The forend was an English field style with a Dealey-style lever release. The forend length was 9 inches, and our gun weighed 7 pounds, 7 ounces. We're going to talk about these two specs again here in just a bit. The stock was a beautifully figured and nicely finished piece of Turkish walnut with flat top checkering. This is the first shotgun that I can remember handling with flat top checkering. It's smoother to the touch, but it still offers bite to maintain a firm grip. We shot all day in the rain, and I never felt like I wasn't in control of the shotgun. Flat top checkering is a premium upgrade on better and best shotguns, and I think it's a nice touch for Connecticut shotgun to use on the Christian Hunter. The Prince of Wales style grip was nicely swept back and was capped with a metal cap. It's the same profile as the SL3, but was noticeably thinner in hand. Chris, you didn't see it, but this gun ships in an aluminum case with a dust cover. Um, what were your initial impressions of the Christian Hunter? It was stunning. Um, you know, side lock, very uh, well finished. It's a pretty gun. Yeah. Um, it, it was a noticeably lighter mm-hmm. than I was expecting. Uh, much more, uh, much more refined type of gun. Uh, with the uh, the grip diameter was more fine. Beautiful leather, um, beautiful leather um, butt pad. Yeah, it was a it was a really pretty, and the engraving was really uh, stunning as well. Yep, yep. You mentioned the weight, and that was something that we talked about quite a bit during our shoot um, day with it. This gun being just under seven and a half pounds, um, it may have actually lacked some weight. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I wouldn't have had an issue if it if it weighed just a just a bit more. You you agree with that? Yeah, I would say for the application that we were using it in for the uh, driven shoots, where you want to 
a little heavier load, especially on the duck side when right. you're using your heavy steel shot and even on yeah. the pheasant side, the, the uh, high brass field loads that we were using. Um, the light gun was much, uh, you know, a little more uh, applicable to something else perhaps. Right. You even mentioned that this would be a, a perfect gun for walked up shooting, um, being lighter and, and, and faster. Another detail that I read in the specs of the gun was the length of the forend. Um, at just nine inches long, it was a full 1.25 inches shorter than the forend on the SL3. And, and I noticed this after shooting the gun um, all day um, and a lot of those, those overhead shots. That shorter forend requires a little bit more of a cramped up shooting posture. And I feel like that, along with kind of its, its lighter weight, really added um, to, the, uh, to the shooting fatigue that I experienced with it. I agree and think it's a perfectly built gun for um, for walked up shooting, but its dimensions may have just been a little bit off, maybe a little bit too small for the type of shooting that we were doing. Um, what a what a beautiful gun though! Both of these guns turned a lot of heads during the day, and and then we had the guns out after dinner, and everyone was really really impressed by how handsome it was. Yeah, yeah, I know one gentleman was very taken aback by it, and I I was too. I think to, to your point, I think it's. I think I personally would use it. I would use it um, over my dogs. You know, it's perfect for like woodcock, rough grouse, even uh, sharp tail out in Montana or North Dakota. Just a quick all day long. You can carry that gun. It's a quick, uh, quick pointing, quick shooting gun. It's beautiful. Yeah, and very nimble. Yeah, it w- it would be the prettiest gun on the prairie. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah, but it'd be perfect. It would be perfect for that, as well as uh, you know, rough grouse and and woodcock would be a lot of fun. Yep, hundred percent, hundred percent. I agree. Now let's get back to shoot day. There's no better way to end a day like this than relaxing and sharing a beautiful meal with the other guns. Dinner was an absolute masterpiece in both planning and preparation. Brenda is Keith's wonderful wife. I'm going to let her read you the dinner menu that she chose to prepare for us. We started off with a. Mediterranean lobster bisque soup, crunchy fresh French roll. Um, the fish course was Portuguese piri piri prawns. Having been to Portugal, we loved them, so that we went with that. Then there was a palate refresher, a lemon sorbet. And then the mains was a crown of lamb with a minced lamb and herb stuffing. Uh, we had baby crushed buttered potatoes, um, a port jew, and I'm not sure what vegetable I served. You may remember. <laughs> it uh, was it was broccoli. Yeah, was it broccoli? Yeah, yeah it was broccoli. <laughs> and then I did a traditional Scottish dessert, which is called Cranachan, which is a blend of like a granola that you make up yourself with oats, sugar, and butter, which goes all crispy, and it's blended with fresh raspberries and a whiskey-infused cream. Honestly, after the amazing day that I've described for you, did you expect anything less? Brenda left off the wine choices that were perfectly paired with each course. We all sat behind a beautifully laid table. I'll let Keith describe this final fantastic chapter of our day. The meal at the end of the shoot is as much, and as you said, a bigger and as an important part of the shooting itself. Again, Greenacres has given us the opportunity, and I speak for myself and Brenda, who obviously heads the Kitchen Brigade. Now, although every shoot has to be a commercial venture for Greenacres, 
for me it's different and certainly for brenda because as you know we've run estates we've you know the main one was in scotland we've been involved in running estates in various locations and mainly i have to say for families remember the shoot was always a family and friends affair now because commercial shooting really didn't come into the late 70s early 80s so it's a family affair and that's what we want it to be now of course the management of green acres as i said it has to be a commercial venture but when you come along and when the day is being done the way i look at it is i'm in i've invited a bunch of friends to come and shoot on our estate i mean i could never i'm not aristoc so i could never afford it so green acres give, has given me the opportunity to almost have my own estate so you come along and the way we view it is you are guests and friends coming to enjoy a shoot and hospitality as guests of myself and Brenda. And we, you know, we take a great personal pride. I mean, obviously you've experienced Brenda's cooking. Um, and, and of, yeah, and, and that's what it is. I mean, as I say, and I'm sure some people think I'm saying a bit of flannel, but it is true. And we love having you here and we, we, you know, the money, I shouldn't say it, but the money goes out the window. I, I, it's not that important. It's not important to me. What's important is the quality of the shooting and the great camaraderie and experiencing exactly what you would do at any good family estate in the UK. Now, of course, we're very fortunate that we have links um, with the Midlothian Pipe Band of Chicago and our original pipe, and he is the pipe sergeant, uh, a young chap named Tom Heinrichsen, who is a champion piper. Tom loves coming along because what we run uh, with the gala dinner is we, we run it as if it, it is a Scottish household. Now, at the end of the shoot, everybody comes back, you've got changed or relaxing, you have a, a gin and tonic or a glass of champagne. And then what we do, as you know, is we toast the birds. We, we go out and we, we have this almost pagan ritual of thanking the birds. And we appreciate that, you know, they've given us their, their energy and, and to give us this wonderful sport and for enable us to, to uh, enjoy you know, the, 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 the essence of this wonderful shooting experience. So we have the Piper and he will, traditionally we play a tribute to the birds and then we, we toast the birds and of course we toast the Piper at the end. Then what happens, we all come in and obviously the meal begins. We, we, we on the gala days, it's always five courses. So you come in and you'll, you'll sit down and enjoy a, a soup, a fish course, then there's a sorbet refresher. But before we move on to the entree, which of course is generally a nice meat entree, uh, we do the traditional Scottish thing. Whereas of course the, the laird uh, or the lord, uh, when you eat dinner, he would parade the entree around the table and he, the piper would lead it. Uh, and then, uh, yep, everybody tucks back into the food. And then generally uh, post-shoot where people are chatting as we get into the latter part of the evening, just before 
uh, we we term it, you know, you have your you you call for carriages, which is the time to go. Um, just before that, you know, Tom and we have a team of pipers that Tom uh, has introduced to us. Um, we normally he he plays a very short uh, Scottish medley. Uh, you know, some reels and, and some great, you know, tunes, which will gradually wind down to um, a lament. And we actually, uh, as he, he plays this, we actually had what we call the uh, um, the Lone Piper. And, and as he plays the lament, we, we gradually darken the, the hall, the room, uh, until obviously it's dark and he finishes. The day drew to a close under dimmed lights. Each of us had full stomachs and tired bodies. As we finished our wine, we made our way to a long table at the side of the dining room where guests were invited to show off their shotguns. A cased boss, a fabulous and noteworthy exposed hammer live pigeon gun from Purdy, and a beautiful Dixon round action were of special note. The firing pinless SL3 and the Christian Hunter joined the other guns of the day. As we fawned over these wonderful guns, we all agreed that despite the persistent winter rain, the day could not have been any better. Now, while Keith serves as host and orchestrates most of what we experienced, this discussion would be incomplete if we didn't hear a bit about the Green Acres property. Dan Erke and his wife Cindy own and operate this gym in the Midwestern United States. I want to bring Dan on to close out the episode by providing detail about the club. Dan, tell me a little bit about the history of the club and what other services you guys offer. Sure, sure. I will try to be concise. Um, this this piece of property in Green Acres itself has literally been part of my life. So it's difficult to be concise, but I will, will do my best. Um, so uh, my father and several other sportsmen in the late 60s uh, were looking for a place uh, to hunt and run their bird dogs. A lot of them were bird dog enthusiasts. And so they kind of blanketed and sent, sent uh, all their friends and, and family out to try to find a good piece of property that was far enough away from the Chicagoland area because my dad was a veterinarian and the Homer Glen area, if you can imagine that, um, such that, uh, you know, within their lifespan, it was unlikely that it was going to get developed because one of their hunting preserves up there uh, got bought out by a developer. So they found this place. It was a, a dairy farm uh, in 1969, and they, um, a group of 10 of them bought in and made a little corporation out of it. And essentially at that point, it was just a playground of them. And then they, they learned very quickly there the bills were going to start stacking up on them. So they decided to make it a, a hunting preserve and take on members. And uh, the place was about 350 acres, 320 acres back then. And um, they ran it as a very basic hunting preserve. Um, it was well known to having beautiful land. Uh, but not many amenities. And so when I got out of college in uh, the late 90s, uh, they were looking for new management. And um, I thought I'd give it a try and had no idea what kind of work I was going to get myself into. <laughs> but um, it, my wife and I, after taking it on for a year, uh, kind of dedicated our lives to uh, taking it and uh, making the most out of this beautiful area down here. Um, it sits the surrounding us is a lot of flat ground, but we are in this um, kind of like uh, uh, an area there the glacier hit, and so unusual little kind of diamond in the rough out in the middle flat land. It's got some nice contour, and 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 um, it's been allowed to, to go back to nature for many many years. 
And since then, we've added on uh, acreage such that our entire acreage that we are allowed to use is uh, 1,200 oh, wow. ish yeah. acres. Uh, yeah, so it's it's a very big place, and we've uh, during that time we also uh, were initially it was just part of the do- job to uh, to train a few dogs for members. Um, but like everything else I do, I get intensely focused and uh, started developing a dog training program. My dad had taught me the basics when I was a kid, and then uh, I brought in some other professionals to help me learn the trade. And uh, now we've got one of the the largest, most well known dog training operations in the in the uh, in the area, called Gun Dog Success. Um, and so that's a, a major portion of our business, um, as well as the the hunting preserve. And with the hunting preserve, we have fishing, we have uh, authentic uh, American style waterfowl shoots. We have obviously upland that's been our mainstay pheasants, chuckers, red leg partridge, um, uh, quail, and uh, what's the other one? Uh, Hungarian partridge, all available uh, for our members. And our our property is really well known for the upland because it's, it feels like you're just hunting in the wild. Uh, we've done a lot of prairie grass, natural plantings, and um, very big, uh, very generously sized acreages for our upland hunters to hunt you, you kind of feel like you're out there on your own and that's why a lot of people come to us we built a clubhouse um which is a, a very nice uh, place to get out of the weather um you know it's got a rustic decor and um we also have sporting clays trying to think of all the other things that i might have missed and of course you you experienced the british wing shooting events um including the the uh, simulated drives and then the uh the uh the wing shooting portion so yeah there's a there's a lot going on here so we have a lot of uh, really great people working for us that help uh properly represent each branch yep yep it really is an impressive place and it looks like you keep a pretty full calendar um, of things going year rounds so with with regards to your british style shooting how how did that come about how did you initially um get connected with keith well, first of all, out of out of necessity. So my wife and I uh, bred British Labs for years before we before I got really really busy busy with the the training operation. Uh, we had a small breeding operation. We we're very interested in British Labs. So in 1994, I believe we went to England to to uh, tour around the country, meet some kennels, and to, to find breeding stock. And in doing that, um, you know, we met this wonderful uh, couple, specifically the lady who who took us by the hand and showed us everything, including the, the, the aspect of driven shooting. And so when I got back from there, I thought, how can we do this? And I just started experimenting and, and uh, throwing these continental shoots. And, um, you know, I would dress, dress up in the clothes that I bought from England <laughs> and I would pretend that I was an Englishman for the day. Yep. Um, but, but I realized, Hey, this is only going to go so far. And there was quite a lot of interest in it. And I thought, wouldn't that be something eventually if we could get either a British gamekeeper or a shoot captain. And, um, the manager that I had at the time, uh, was just I think answering questions about our driven shoots and Keith got on the other end there and they started a conversation and that was the organic way that we were introduced to Keith Coyle. And of course, a couple conversations later, and I think he and I were on the edges of our seats 
of dreaming about, hey, he's thinking about going to America to, to, to start British driven shooting and an operation here. And I'm thinking, wow, this, this might work. Yeah. So, yeah, we, we, we had him come over and, and spent about three months um, in an experimental style way and toured the property and, and lived with us for a while and decided, hey, we, we, we think we can do this. And, and that's what we did. So now he takes care of all of the driven shooting uh, events, uh, he and his wife, uh, and you experienced it. So that's how it happened. Yep. Yep. Well, I'm certainly glad that the two of you found each other. And I really do think that you offer something very, very special and, and unique. Um, Dan, for listeners who are interested in learning more about your British style shooting or Green Acres Sportsman's Club, where would you direct them? I would just go to our website at, at huntgreenacres.com, huntgreenacres.com. And uh, you know, there's a section there where you can actually email us questions, um, fill out forms, et cetera, which will all kind of uh, direct you into whichever uh, subject matter you're interested in. And then we'll respond to you. Otherwise, you can call us at uh, 217-395-2588. And uh, we'll be looking forward to hearing from you. Dan, thank you for spending a few minutes with me today. Very good. Very good. Thank you very much. Well, there you have it. I hope that you found this interesting and want to encourage you to add this to your shooting calendar. Not sure if Green Acres is close enough to visit? Chris and I drove three hours to get here, and I feel like this sort of experience is a no-brainer for anyone that is within four hours by car. This would include listeners in Milwaukee, St. Louis, Louisville, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, Chicago, Cedar Rapids, Iowa, Grand Rapids, Michigan, and all the suburbs and towns in between. In addition to Keith and Dan, Jim and Sage, and the rest of the Green Acres team, I want to give a special mention to Ian with the Beretta Gallery in Manhattan and Shane at Connecticut Shotgun Manufacturing for trusting me with these two beautiful shotguns. Also, the guns we shared the day with, the gentlemen Gene, John, David, Tom, James, Dan, Mark, and the lady Linda. Chris and I agreed that we could not have handpicked a better shooting party. Make sure to check out our Instagram and Facebook pages for some great pictures from the Grand Batu shoot. Our new Patreon account is set up if you want to help support what we do. And remember, Patreon members are entered to win a quarterly gear giveaway. We have some really nice and high quality items. Thank you for listening. And until next time. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of A Break in the Action. Want to hear your voice on a future episode? Leave a message. Ask a question or suggest a topic on our listener line at 317-662-4520. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and visit us at abreakintheaction.com.